All right. All right. I'm ready. Okay. So, <laughs> how do I begin this show? Hello and welcome to Better Than the Movie. Um, I'm Jeanette, she's Tamika, and we are here talking books. How are you today, my friend? I'm fine. I feel like two absentee parents just popped up at your <laughs> Little League game. Like, Yo, no, we came <laughs> back like that daddy who said, okay, baby, I'm going to be back to pick you up on Saturday. We can get some ice cream. <laughs> and then he just never showed. Like, we went for a pack of Newports. <laughs> <laughs> he came back 20 years later like, hey. Hey, y'all. Y'all don't oh, need no more. You guys, we've just been busy. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness <laughs> have kept us. No, seriously, it's just been life stuff. Also, some, you know, work things. I feel like I was uninspired for a couple of weeks. Um, you know. Yeah, we both have family shit going on, too. So. And I don't ever want to be like, you know, other podcasts, other entities, when people ask, hey, you guys, can't wait to hear the podcast. Where's the podcast? Is everything cool? Not that y'all are knocking down our e-doors for that, but... <laughs> I don't ever want to be one of those people that are like, well, y'all ain't paying for this, so we don't owe y'all. Like, we are also not. That's not how we roll. No, no. (laughs) We really appreciate everybody that listens to the show, and y'all are more like friends. It's more like friends who haven't checked in for a while. So, um, yeah, that's basically been it. But, you know, get used to it because we're doubling up on our academic loads, and, (laughs) you know. It might get real. It may not be the last time, but we hope not, so. We, we hope, hope not to be gone this long, at yeah, least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, we're here. And, um, yeah, where can the people find us on the internet? Listen, it's been so long I'm reading the document, like, okay, what's next? <laughs> what do we do now? What happens next? <laughs> where are we on the program? Uh, <laughs> Uh, Sister Tamika, we'd like you come forth and give <laughs> the announcements. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So y'all can find us on the internet at betterthanthemovie.com. We're also at Twitter at betterthantm and at Facebook, facebook.com slash betterthanthemovie. Um, if you would like, you can also uh, leave us a voicemail message at our Google Voice number, 210-816-2886. And then I have been trying to get our Instagram popping, but we are on Instagram. It's better than the movie. Um, Instagram is not at the forefront of my thoughts all the time, but we're going to do better because we do get, you know, there are people. There's a book presence on the on the gram. Instagram is a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get right. into it. So in case you're wondering, there's not going to be any, like, you know, feature presentation at the end. This is all the news that we missed while we were out living our lives. So some of this stuff may not be new new to you, but it's new to us, and it's our first time discussing it with y'all. So first things first. So The Root, The Root, gave us 15 new books by black authors to dive into this summer. In case you did not pay attention to our, was it the fall? No, summer, spring. Spring. We gave y'all a whole episode of books that were coming up that we were looking forward to, things that we were adding to our personal TBR list. But if you didn't hear that episode, go back and listen to it and then go read this thing and then add some of them. Anyway. 15 new books by black authors to dive into this summer. So, here we go. Right. Num- go ahead. Number one is Homecoming. You're going to have to help going. me. Home. Yep. Home I going. keep calling it Homecoming, too. Yeah, a couple times. And then my old eyes. See, that G is a C if you look too fast. Um, is it Ya? Uh, Gyasi? Sounds good. Oh God! Not 100%. So you, sorry if we butchered her name. Usually you know these things. And I, I know. And I, I, don't I, even, you know what's crazy is that like I've never heard anyone say her name. Yeah, okay. I despite don't even, all the like coverage I've read about the book. 
I don't even know like the regular English names. <laughs> anyway, um, Homegoing is epic novel that begins with two African two African sisters who experience life during the slave trade differently. It's a generational story. We'll put a pin in that because we're gonna talk about that book later. Fair enough. Uh, what else? Collected poems, 1974, 2004 by Rita Dove. I feel bad. I don't know Rita Dove. But she's apparently Rita important. Dove, but I don't read poetry, so I'm not like yeah completely immersed in her work or whatever. But she received numerous honors, including the Pulitzer and National Humanities Award and the National Medal of Arts. And she was also the former poet laureate of the United States. And we are we should know these things. I really gotta step up my poetry knowledge because it's kind of embarrassing sometimes. I probably won't. <laughs> I'm glad you're so self-aware. I'm not even going to tell any lies about stepping up my knowledge. Maybe one day I'll expand my reading live, but right now, well, at it's least not my you ministry. Know. At least y'all know where we stand. <laughs> um, you want to take the next? Yeah, the next one is "What Is Not Yours Is Not Yours" by Helen Oyeyemi. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's. It says, these fantastical tales from the prolific Oyeyemi draw from magical realism, but remain grounded in the truth of character and emotion. So it's a collection of short stories. I actually read Mr. Fox by her, mm -hmm. and I couldn't really get into it. And I know she had a book last year or the year before called Boy Snowbird um, that was like a reimagining of, I think, Snow White mm -hmm. that I didn't even attack. I didn't even attempt to get into it because I couldn't get into Mr. Fox. Um, my magical realism is real narrow. Okay. So I'll be super into it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, the next book is Another Brooklyn by Jacqueline Woodson, which I'm excited about. Um, this is the first adult novel from the National Book Award winning children's author. Uh, I think I talked about Brown Girl Dreaming on this show before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was a Books on Books on Books episode where we were talking about memoirs or some such. Yeah. But yeah, so um, Another Brooklyn is a haunting poetic tale of four girls coming of age in the New York City borough navigating av absent parents, near poverty, and sexual sexually predatory men, each girl forges her own path to make a life of her own. I am not looking forward to that. You said you are not? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm I not like Jackie Woodson. Okay. So I'm looking forward to reading her words. I'm yeah. not necessarily looking forward to the content within. That's what I mean. But I just want to read some happy black stories sometimes. Oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. It's summertime. Can we just get a... Yeah, which is why I probably won't read another Brooklyn until, like... The depths of winter. <laughs> <laughs> depths of Chicago winter hell. Yep. All right, um, you want to go? Let's just whiz through a couple of these. We've got Charcoal Joe by Walter Mosley. Still haven't read any of his books, but I will. I will. Is it Walter Mosley or Donald Goins? We do this like every uh, six episodes. Um, <laughs> <is> Walter Mosley. <laughs> Walter Mosley is who you said you were going to read. That's right. The Face Cartography of the Void by Chris Abani, who I've never heard. He is also a novelist and poet. It is a lyrical meditative memoir. Next. No, just kidding. <laughs> oh, the next book on the list I've actually read Trail okay. of Echoes by Rachel Housel Hall. I think I. Um, I think it was a show with, yeah, with Leon, uh, Leonica, who I just almost pronounced her name wrong, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, where I talked about the weekend where I blazed through the first books in this series. Um, this is actually the third book in the Detective Lou Norton series, and it was really good, but I hated the ending. Okay. Here Comes the Sun, we talked about in our TBR, our last TBR book list. Mm -hmm. um, it's a Jamaican tale of race. Gender, class, sexuality. Um, we give a little bit more of a synopsis there, but it's by Nicole Dennis Ben. Um, Speak from here to there, a cycle of poems by Kwame, Kwame Dawes and John Kinsella. It's poetry. There you go. Mm -hmm. We talked about We Love um, You, Charlie Yeah, Freeman. We Love You, Charlie Freeman, Caitlin Greenidge. Did you write this? Um, no, I bought it like in 
March and I still haven't read it yet. Okay. Um, I remember we said something about a chimpanzee and it was a little like, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to that one. Uh, the next list is another book that <laughs> I've had an ARC for since January and I still haven't read it. I Almost Forgot About You by Terry McMillan. You almost forgot about her book? Um, I did not forget about that book. <laughs> every time I open up my Kindle app, it's right there looking at me. Um, but it's about a woman who was a Georgia Young, a 54-year-old optometrist who is motivated to sell her practice, travel across country, and rediscover her dreams with a chance at love along the way. So I think like she's going back and like reconnecting with old lovers from her past in this book. Mm. So that could be interesting, but I just, I haven't been, maybe now is the time where it's summer and fun and flirty and maybe I want to hear about some, you know, golden age getting a groove. I don't know. No. Nope. I don't know. I, I heard it was good, it. though. I have not. I didn't even know Terry McMillan had a book coming out until I was at the bookstore the other day, and I was like, "Oh, they're selling." I thought it was like one of her books I hadn't read that was like at the bar of the clearance section, mm. but it wasn't. And I, you know, I haven't really read a Terry McMillan book that I enjoyed, like thoroughly enjoyed, in a very long time. So. I haven't been that mode. Like one of them I picked up and I was like, nope, and I couldn't finish it. And I just haven't been that motivated to pick up any of her books. Not saying that I wouldn't, but you know, she's not an auto buy for me anymore. And I don't know why. I don't remember. Oh, her Twitter probably, but also <laughs> the, there was a book. I don't remember which one it was. It kind of changed it for me. Um, what else do we got here? Uh, next is Fuchsia by Matem Shifara, which is another poetry collection by an Ethiopian poet. Um, and it says it sings with the musicality of language, color, and imagery. All right. Well, the next one is Grace by Natasha. I might be doing too much. Natasha Dion. Uh, she tags, takes on the darkest aspect of slavery's painful existence, the system, systematic rape of black women to produce more enslaved black children who were then sold away from their mothers. Mm, sounds like an upper. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> the next book is The Big Book of Exit Strategies by Jamal May, which is another poetry collection that is described as an electrifying read. That's all they got. Um, let's go back to Grace. Okay. I understand that these stories are important. I understand they're possible. I mean, that they happened. I don't ever think that there can be too many of them. You know what I mean? Because these are stories of millions and millions of people. But y'all, at least, at least tell your publicists <laughs> to do something with these book descriptions. Like, nobody, that doesn't sound, like, is there a triumphant, you know what I mean, aspect of this book? Or is there a character here that we should get to know and attach ourselves to to hear their story like this just sounds depressing and I'm sure it's a good book yeah it's probably written beautifully but I, I don't, don't know that a line because I feel I feel like this is this author's um blurb I don't feel like this is the real blurb yeah the reason why I say this is because this book is on my TBR list and I don't think I would have put it on my TBR list if the blurb said the systematic rape of black women to produce more enslaved black children we're gonna so. go we're gonna talk about this whole slave narrative and black history narrative when we talk about the book that we gonna talk about in the future um we gonna come back to that because I have notes I don't ever make notes. I am always the least prepared of the two of us. But <laughs> I got notes this <laughs> time. Anyway, number 15 is um, a collection of short stories by, it's called The Loss of All Things by Amena, Amina Gautier. Gautier. It's a short story collection. It gives us takes, tales that all revolve around the idea of loss, whether the loss be of a person, place, thing, or abstract idea. Yep. It'll leave you breathless. That's what it says. Stories about loss. Anyway, that's a pretty good group. Of yeah, books. pretty diverse no. list of books to read this summer or no. winter with some of the more depressing stories. It's a good list of 15 books that will take most of us through the summer and some of us through a week. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just going to go ahead and sidestep that little shade bomb that was thrown in front of my face. The people know that I stand on the side of truth. <laughs> people know. I cannot I can neither confirm nor deny. I'm just saying. Alright, so this next story is super exciting. Um, Bobby Brown 
the king of R&B, has a new memoir out called Every Little Step, Every little step I Take, My Story by Bobby Brown. Did you see Bobby Brown's interview with Robin Roberts? I did not see the 2020 interview, and I was mad sad about that. Um, but I do, however, have the audio version of this book pre-order, and I cannot wait till that shit downloads on Monday. You know, so in this book, Bobby Brown, the interview was good, I thought. In this book, Bobby Brown, um, you know, he talks a lot about his life, and then he talks about the different, like, things that happened that kind of led them to where they were. And Robin Roberts, I mean, in the interview, she asked him a lot of good questions, and I think he answered them as honestly as he could. There is this thing I think people have with Bobby Brown that they, that that narrative, even though everybody around Whitney Houston has dispel the narrative that they don't want to let go of the fact that Winnie Houston was not this princess who, who was sweet and innocent and Bobby Brown led her down the path of darkness right into the potato. <laughs> like, and I don't think I've ever felt like he was dishonest. I just think that people don't want to believe it. Yep. And so I thought that was really interesting. He talked about the great uh <laughs> television tragedy that was being Bobby Brown um, and how that was a mistake. He talked a lot about his life and the things that he did wrong. Um, they have always kind of gone back and forth about like the abuse aspect of it, but I'm just kind of like, I tend to believe that the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I mean, I know with abuse, you know, hitting is hitting or whatever, but I don't think, I think she's lied about some things. I think he is lying about some things. And you're talking about people that were in the throes of addiction for decades, you know, so we may never know, but I am fascinated by this. I cannot wait to read it. I happen to like Bobby Brown. <laughs> I don't mind the Kang at all. Me neither. I mean, like I said, I feel like of all the people that have surrounded themselves with Whitney, uh, surrounded Whitney Houston, including Pat and them, I think that mm. Bobby Brown is the most honest and the mm. most genuine He's never not taking responsibility for his part, but he's also kind of like, you know. Hold on, not so fast. Yeah. Let's not say that I've done all of this. Yeah. And he also wouldn't be selling her old credit cards uh, oh. on freaking mm. eBay or whatever. Mm. Mm. Wow. What, what? That's a whole nother. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that he said, and they said in the book, and I think this has kind of got out, and I've seen it in a couple of different uh, news sites where they said that he confirmed that she was bisexual and he did not say that what he said was if her friend what was her friend's name robin crawford if robin had been accepted in her life she would have maybe things would have turned out differently because she didn't have a lot of good friends and so i didn't take that to mean that she was bisexual necessarily whatever you might whatever people might think about that i don't think that that's what he said that's not what he said i think he was saying she needed good people around her true friends. around her and i can see a mama like sissy not being down you know mm -hmm. robin's lifestyle but i don't know i just it's sad he talked about bobby christina sad um it made me really angry at a point. I think I'd seen this on Twitter, and I think I'd read somewhere. Like, remember he was on stage, and he was like, my baby is awake. She looked at me or whatever. And people were saying he was saying that for attention. See, and okay. okay. And that First really pissed all, me off. Like, I hate when people project their own shit onto yeah. celebrities and people who are in the limelight. Right. Um, because you know nothing about that man. You know nothing about his struggles. You know nothing about his life until this memoir is released on Tuesday. But you have all these designs on who you think he is as a person because of what you see mm -hmm. from one angle, mm -hmm. not knowing the totality of his life. So I think that he's like he's often um, wrongly condemned. And I'm yeah. and I I'm so I used to be like a really super duper judgmental person. Like yeah. whenever somebody did some shit that wasn't in line with my own personal moral code of ethics, they were immediately cast aside. And I just sat on the side being judgmental Jeanette, like, mm, look at her just over yeah. there being, you know, and the more I grow and the more that I learn and the more that I have different experiences with people who are unlike me, I'm just like, you know what, live your life. And if you are not hurting anybody, God bless it. And I think a lot of people, especially on Twitter, could benefit from looking at life in that same way. Because well, we don't not. know. We don't know, Bobby. 
Well, that's not lucrative, right? It's not lucrative to <laughs> there's no potential. No, that's true. You can't, yeah. you can't make money if you're not talking shit. Um, so, but I, I felt like I felt sympathy towards him in that in that way in that area because imagine your child or his empathy sympathy. I always mix them up. Anyway, um, I felt I felt for him though because I can imagine you know knock on wood my own child in that position and you are a parent clinging to any hope any sign of life mm -hmm. and like he said in the interview to me she was awake to me she was looking at me that's how I felt in that moment and for people to interpret that as he has some sort of nasty motives I mean like the man has 150 kids by 150 women he you know a drug user been in and out of jail. He's to me, he's never really lied about anything, and I just think her family doesn't like him because <laughs> that's kind of like the red mark on her otherwise good record. You know what I mean? I don't know mm -hmm. on her on that image that they painted of her. But anyway, I'm looking forward to reading that book by the King of R&B, Bobby Brown. <laughs> Every little step I take comes out Tuesday, right? Yep. All right. All right. So these next two stories kind of go hand in hand, right? They do. Okay. So LitHub uh, launched this bookmarks situation. Um, mm -hmm. Sorry, my computer just froze up. But it's essentially an aggregate of um, all of the reviews on any given book that's been released in the past, I think, three or so years, and then they're graded. So it's like a Rotten Tomatoes for books. The scale goes from A to F. Um, and it's interesting because it says that so far there isn't um, a book that's below like a C minus or something. <laughs> um, but people are losing their shit about this. Really? Yeah, like a lot of people um, uh, on the book internet were like, this is bullshit. I don't know why they would ever create um, any such system blah 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 and I was like I don't get it like reviews exist anyway so them aggregating them um okay and then especially since like it didn't really hurt Anything. any of the books that are always reviewed often anyway if anything <laughs> perhaps instead of aggregating the books that are always reviewed um in newspapers and magazines and such maybe just I don't know. Um, broaden what you're reviewing. Yeah. Does that yeah. seem odd? I, I don't know. I didn't. I had not. Uh, have I have not had my ear to the ground in the bookchinette in a minute, and so I didn't know that there was, you know, an uproar. Because I can't imagine why. I'm like, okay, so just don't go, <laughs> go don't go to the site. Don't visit the like site. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Because look at the way the people who are readers, hardcore people who are part of the book internet, who are you know, this is this is a, a lifestyle. You're gonna read what you want to read anyway. Like, mm -hmm. you're gonna pick up those books and you're gonna read them, and you may like them and you may not like them, regardless of their their letter grade or whatever critic has said. I've never. I mean, I, I can't say it's never stopped me from reading a book. Like, if I see a book and it's one star on Goodreads, I know that book has to be bad because Goodreads is pretty generous. Um, the people who rate them are pretty. I mean, everything kind of lands at three to four stars because everything four averages five out. Five damn stars, really. Yeah. So everything kind of averages out, right? But in this case, I'm kind of like, well, I mean, it's interesting, but it's not a tool that would stop me. For, it's not a tool I would use to decide on if I'm going to read a book. And it's not a thing I would go to on a regular basis anyway, so I don't understand why anybody would be upset. But they just want, is this like, I don't know. See, because I, I like the way that Rotten Tomatoes does the thing, but Rotten Tomatoes also gives you, here is kind of a, a percentage of the critics who really like this book, and here is a percentage of actual moviegoers. And so that matters to me. Like, I, I don't, I, I go to Rotten Tomatoes sometimes just to see what people thought of a thought of a um, a movie. I just don't see myself doing it for a book. I just I don't I either. Like um, and the reason why I don't see myself checking well, first of all, I don't read reviews anyway because who cares what y'all think? <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm glad you said it so I didn't have to. Um, mm -hmm. And to uh, people get uh, I don't know. I'm not very. Um, shit what's the word like 
I'm not very litty. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I read books. I like what I like. But I'm not out here only reading books that are, like, super esoteric and, like, on the best of lists yearly and are just written with such great prose that one is moved to tears every third sentence and are profoundly complex and layered and emotional. Not saying I don't read books like that, but that's not what I read all the time. Yeah. So... I don't really go up for like checking out who the New York Times reviewed this week. Like I don't really give a shit. Like I don't read literary magazines. I don't like talking to people about books that are super like that because they tend to not really talk about how a book makes you feel. And that's the end I'm on as opposed to like dissecting it for how it's constructed. So I'm also, it's just not my thing. I'm also more likely to get my book. Like I, I would, I take reviews from people that I know. You know what I mean? I'd listen to a review from you. I mean, however informal that might be, or a review from other people I know who read often and that kind of have the same taste in books that I do. If they say, "Girl, you got to check this book out. It's really, really good," I'm more likely to go read it um, based on their recommendation or their critique than some MFA person writing for whatever website. I really don't care. I mean, it's fine. Like, it's not the end of the world, but I think I said in a couple episodes ago, you know, the book internet just gets their little they get their little fur up for (laughs) for everything. It's like, it's not that serious. Just don't use it. So this other article calls into question whether or not literary criticism have has a great inflation problem. Um, and this is a direct uh, correlation from the fact that nothing is below a C on bookmarks. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. And this, this article is interesting to me because it says one of the sem- central purposes of bookmarks is to draw attention to all the great critical writing about books happening in the country today to create an easily searchable resource that reflects the current state of literary criticism. Mm. We also hope that it will help elevate worthy books that receive strong accolades but do not have big marketing budgets behind them and might otherwise be overlooked. That doesn't make any sense. Nope, not at all. Because guess what books are being reviewed? The ones who have big marketing budgets behind them. And the ones that don't have big marketing budgets behind them that are getting reviewed, they're still probably doing okay. I'm like, how are you going to make a thing that's based on the aggregate, uh, based on all of these reviews? Because the letter, I'm sorry, let me start over. How are you going to make a thing that takes all of these different reviews and makes and gives it a letter grade, right? But then turn around and say, we're trying to draw attention to those books that, like, well, that's not what you're doing, though. You're just <laughs> taking this book that's like the it book or the it books that are being reviewed everywhere, and you're pushing them <laughs> to the top of the page. I don't understand. Because if the book isn't being reviewed, <laughs> then it's not going to make it to your site. And it was in one of these articles, like the reviewer is talking about like, oh, like this book I really liked received a good grade, but it's only sold 2000 hard copies on BookScan. Mm-hmm. This book I like has only sold 5000 copies on BookScan. Okay, well, that's not really the review's fault as much as it is the nature of book buying. Okay. Right? Yeah, that's true. Like I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't think that when people were selling, like, okay, perfect example, right? Yes. Harry Potter. Okay. That shit took off. Was a global phenomenon. Joe Rowling did not sell a ton of books because she got favorable reviews in literary highbrow circles. Right. She sold a million books because people connected with her work. And then it went out the stratosphere. So I don't really understand. Oh, no. I, girl, okay. So, so here it goes for me. So I'm looking at their first page. All of the books that David Duchovny writes books, all of the books that are that are by, okay, 
Hmm. All the books that are written. Okay. There's not a wide range here, like you said. There's not really anything below like a B plus, right? And all of the books on this first page that are by people of color have a B plus or B. And all of the books by the white folks just about have an A. Not all, but most. But all of the people of color definitely have a B plus, which is a low score on this page. Um, yep, every last one that I've come across that I recognize. Every last one. I don't know what that means in a with a thing like this because it's fucking stupid how do you <laughs> how do you have this and nobody has a C I have I've been scrolling since we started talking and I have not ran yet right no <laughs> freaking Salman Rushdie has a B minus yeah, dude, like, I think that the article called out that, like, literally only two books on the entire site have, like, a C and a C minus. Fear of Dying by Erica Jong is the first C plus that I have run across. And that's probably because Erica Jong has been dragged oh. by her edges lately. So she's probably gotten less than favorable reviews because of all the shit that she got into with um, the author of An Untamed State. Excuse me. Wait a minute. Hold that thought. Because I don't know what you're talking about. God Help the Child has a B plus. Huh. <laughs> huh. Okay. What are you talking about? Um, this was like a few months ago. This Erica Jong lady. I don't know. She just said some real just extra white feminist shit. And basically um, offended the fuck out of Roxanne Gay at a panel that they oh, were on. Oh. Uh. <laughs> Shut up. You shall not be named. <laughs> Please. Please. <laughs> yeah, but nevertheless, she got dragged by the entire literary community. Um, I can't remember the intimate details of it because my brain is Swiss cheese, but I do remember that name and unfavorable things being associated with it. So that's likely why she has a C, whatever she has. I don't think that's very fair. But, you know, what's fair when the curve is A to B? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so to All answer right. that question, does literary criticism have a great inflation problem? Yes. Yes, it does. Curtis Sittenfield's eligible. Remember, she was the one that was going to redo, change the romance Guess game. What? Guess what she can do. She it can has change a C plus. It has a C plus, it does. Oh, okay. You know what a C plus is? A B minus. Especially on this one. <laughs> Might as well have an A. All yeah, right, that's, let's move on. that's not gonna last. So, in the most West African headline that I've read in a long time, <laughs> you want to go for this? Yeah. Okay. So, Akusua Adama Owusu options film rights to Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's on Monday of last week. Boom! Nailed it. You did. She's a filmmaker, and she is going to turn. Oh, so um, what's the name of that? A Monday of last week is a short story in uh, Chimamanda Idichi's uh, "The Thing Around Your Neck," and so it's going to be turned into a movie. And Nigerian actress Chinasa Ogubagu has been cast in the lead role of Kamara in the film. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Um, Miss Owusu has a Kickstarter going, um, trying to raise funds to help this movie uh, production see the light of day. Mm -hmm. And so I think that she said, because I read the little, um, I'll put the link to the Kickstarter too in the show notes, but yeah. I think she um, said that uh, every dollar of the first 20000 will be matched. Awesome. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, and this young woman <laughs> has directed and produced a geez, directed and produced award-winning win films, um, which have won awards at the Berlin International Film Festival, the African Movie Academy Award. Um, she's also named as one of the HuffPost's 30 Contemporary Art Makers Under 40. She was a McDowell Colony Fellow and a Guggenheim Fellow. Well, I'll be damned. 
So she out here doing some things. So if you have a dollar or two, go ahead and support that Kickstarter and yes. um, promote that on your respective social media platforms because I think that that is super important and I am super excited and everybody is cute. I love her dresses. Yeah, and that's our picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, if you have not read it, The Thing Around Your Neck by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie is a book and you can get it, you know, wherever the hell you buy books. Yes. All right. local bookseller. Okay. Um... Or Amazon. <laughs> I mean, Amazon is my local bookseller, but <laughs> no, because like seriously, like in Narnia where I live at, the only options I have are like Barnes and Noble, Walmart, Target, mm-hmm. um, and I refuse to go into Barnes and Noble. Like I had to go into Barnes and Noble a couple months ago um, to get that New Yorker cover with Zorro on the cover, and I was so pissed about it because mm. <laughs> I couldn't order anywhere online. But no, I hate Barnes and Noble. Down with Barnes. And- Y'all know that I am Team Amazon, so support your local Amazon. <laughs> okay. um, this was just a short little something that I wanted to announce because we have discussed her books before. Trisha R. Thomas, uh, the writer who wrote um, the Nepali Ever After series. We discussed that series in the Fiction Out the Hood episode, or F08, for those of you who are not familiar with the lingo. Um, she's got a new book coming out. Remember we were like, does she write still? What's going on there? Yeah, she does. And she has a new book coming out August 2016 called Postcards from Venus. I don't know what it's about, but I just wanted to say that. Look out for it and support her because she has been doing this for a long, long time. Yes. And, you know, you know what we do. You know who we are. So support her. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and we'll talk more about it once I get a, a hold of a synopsis. But I just saw that and I wanted to shout her a holler. Yes, yes. Hey, okay, you can take... Uh-huh. Go ahead. So this next article <laughs> comes from The Guardian. The Guardian. Oh. <laughs> and uh, the title of it is Beyonce. Black people are bad. Go ahead. Beyonce mm-hmm. is not shining a light on African literature. It's the other way around. In case anybody was walking around thinking that Beyonce was shining a light on African literature, um, is this Anahi? Anahi? She's here to tell you. That is not the case. That if you pull out your Google Maps and look to the upper left corner, you will see the exact point where you got her. Okay. (laughs) I have literally never heard anybody say that she was shining a lot on African literature, but let's get it. All right. Let's just get into the sources that she cites that seem to credit Beyonce with shining a light on African literature. Let's do Okay. NPR. Vogue, L. Do you see anything in common here? They are not Essence. Wait, Essence is also white on. Go on. Never mind. They are not Madame Noir. <laughs> they are not Clutch. Okay, so. <laughs> so, yes, girl. When you're reading white media and they're talking about the connections, because what's likely is that whoever wrote that article for white media is not black either so then they were getting introduced to these people via Beyonce and so they think that she's shining a light but then you internalize that as oh Beyonce is putting these African writers into the media when actually they inspire all of her work to begin with which no one is saying that she she does not have any influences from the writings of clearly the reason why she brought Warshan into the fold was because of being inspired by her poetry. So what do you even what the fuck? Why did you I'm even write read, this? I'm going to read the section from this and then I'm going to try to temper my thoughts because I don't want to offend anybody but <laughs> it says Basically, um, when Shimamanda Ngozi Adichie was featured on Beyonce's track, she became, according to Elle.com, 
the 12 year old who writes L.com, um, Beyonce's favorite novelist, which nobody knows because Beyonce does not do interviews. In the months following the collaboration, there was much talk about how being linked to Beyonce had somehow upgraded the DJ into a truly global celebrity. Pause, hold there, or put a pin there, highlight that section. The Lemonade shows Beyonce looking to Africa yet again for its wealth of literary production, and sadly, the discourse hasn't changed. So, first of all, I know that this doesn't feel good to the elitist ear, but unless you are a reader, <laughs> Come on. it is quite likely that you had never heard of Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie until she was on Beyonce's track. She did, in fact, <laughs> not upgraded, but definitely introduced um, Chimamanda Her to a larger audience. audience. Which is Beyonce's audience, which Beyonce's audience is everybody. And so you may not like that. I'm sure Chimamanda's not mad. I'm sure if we go to the Amazon, um, what is it, charts right now, that that book is still in the top 50 of all African American literature. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm probably going out on a limb. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that, you know, Chimamanda's pockets is not, are not mad about that. <laughs> like, it helps. Um, I had people that I had never, that I know for facts would have never touched Americana had they not heard Chimamanda in Flawless. They, had, they would have never looked at her TED Talk on, on feminism. They would have never read anything else about her and her work on feminism at all. And I hate to say it, you know, because I don't want to piss anybody off, but it's the same for Washington Shire. But what I didn't like is that she's looking, this part about her looking to Africa yet again for its wealth of literary production. You're talking about two authors. Um, and I don't know what's two wrong with people. that. Because I feel like had she, there's another side of this that you know would have came um, if she had just focused on black American authors, black American women. You know, then then she's not representing the diaspora. Yeah, she's not being inclusive. She's not using her um, thing. And then this is the part that I didn't like. Also, the other part where she talked about Warson Shire and said that, of course, uh, Shire is so integral to the project that her name is before everyone else because in the visual album and all of those pieces between the songs, that's Warson Shire's poetry. So I don't understand why she wouldn't be featured. Okay, okay. okay. And so. Um, they're saying that they have – the media seems confused about Beyonce's investment in Shire, which they have simply interpreted as a kind of artistic generosity. Uh, NPR focuses on how Beyonce's Lemonade turns a Somali Brit poet into a global star. Vogue calls Shire the newest Beyonce-backed literary sensation. Hold on. Uh, Lemonade is another case of Beyonce transforming an obscure African writer into a global sensation. Well, she did. She fucking did. I'm sorry. I, I don't here's, know but, how else to tell but you. But here's that. the thing, though. Here's the thing. <laughs> another case. Okay, first of all, Chimamanda had a claim in her own right prior to the TED Talk being inserted into Flawless. Yes. The TED Talk being into Flawless just put that up on a different level. Warshanshire, I saw her on Twitter, I saw her on Tumblr. Her words are breathtaking. Like, I don't even fuck with poetry, but like her stuff just start, stops my heart. So I, I'm not mad at Beyonce using her poetry as a vehicle. You know what I mean? So the 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 what pisses me off though, and 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 I'm probably gonna get in trouble for saying this, but we can't ever have shit without somebody from the mm -hmm. mother continent saying, but you don't pay homage to Mama Africa. <laughs> you and are I'm so, I am going to get in trouble, <laughs> but I'm so fucking tired of it. Like, no one, at no point did Beyonce or anyone in her circle or any of her fans, for that matter, say... That she's knighted this woman. This is what she says. She says, I can't pretend that working with or for Beyonce does not hold some value. The issue for me is that we have to find a better way of identifying what that value is. Bear in mind that Beyonce is not simply an individual, but the meeting point of a set of global cultural forces. That's something you put on her. If African literature is circulating globally on the crest of this confluence of culture, power, and capital called Beyonce, 
we have to be able to intelligently identify the form of the value it generates. But this value can't be reduced to a case of Queen Bee knighting her African literary flavor of the month with the patch of her cultural estate. Fuck you. Because so guess who, <laughs> but guess who your beef is with, though? Um, I don't media. remember this girl's name. White media. Yeah. So, like, instead of directing your ire toward the proper source, you instead choose to because back up integrate to, another black woman because back up to what you just said what she said uh, up top the very first name in the credits is Worson Shire that's not a knighting of that's not a oh I'm putting this this African girl on that is a you are a collaborator of this my this whole project is inspired you know at least in part by your work so much so that your name is going to come before mine yep girl um, let me stop. Let me stop. Let's stop here before we get cut. Before they cut us off there. Whatever. They already <laughs> cut us off when I went on my whole spiel. So it does make me sad though, because we don't have any culture. Remember, we don't yes. have culture. one thing that said we don't have our own culture allegedly. But when we try to be inclusive, and I'm not just talking about Beyonce, but when we talk, when we try to be inclusive, when we try to be inspired by these things, I really don't think that Beyonce said, "Let me find this African poet. Let me find the African poet that fits." I don't think she said that about her, and I don't think she said that about Chimamanda. I think that these women and their message resonate to what she was trying to do and to the artist. Period. It's the content. It did not matter where the artist came from. It is the content that they put out there. So, And it's a collaborative effort in every sense of the word because... Warson Shire is part of this project. I, I don't understand why people don't understand that. Like, Beyonce is the bigger, you know, star here. She's the bigger entity here. But it's definitely a collaboration. And I don't know how anybody walked away thinking that one is being held over the other when she couldn't have done Lemonade the visual. She could have, but like, it do wouldn't you understand have... that, like, Lemonade the visual album and the actual Lemonade album are two separate experiences? Yes. Yep. And you would not have gotten it. It wouldn't have been what it is without Warson Shire. And I think that Beyonce can't fucking win, you know, because if it's not other black girls, black American people attacking her, it's black men, it's black women, it's the nation of Islam, it's white folks, it's white police officers, it is African people or African writers who are just happy to have a job at The Guardian. Please click my article. <laughs> we'll make it about Beyonce. Interesting. This hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, hold okay. on. This is the part where we can just close wanna close out here. <laughs> Wait, can I just say one thing and then we can close out? Yeah. All right, so the section that this article is in is called Brittle Paper. And it mm -hmm. says it's a virtual space where Ainihi Adoro plays and experiments with ideas on how to reinvent African fiction and literary culture. But she didn't do that. Okay. Okay. Everyone wants to point out that Beyonce's celebrity power elevates Shire's work and gives her access to a much more expanded global stage. I think it's the other way around. Shire's poetry prepares the way for Beyonce's work and, in a sense, makes it possible. African literature provides the terms on which Beyonce's work can be made intelligible. Girl, <laughs> have a good night. Have a good day. Yeah, I'm done. Girl, um, that, was the, that was the biggest reach in the history of reaches. And unnecessary reaches. Yes. But okay, girl. <laughs> okay. Because I didn't know. Okay. Anyway. Um, where are we? We're doing good, yeah. I think. Okay. I want to know. I was away on sabbatical. <laughs> but I did glance at the Twitter, and I saw that you were quite... <laughs> quite angry um, as somebody for writing something that was white. White is the driven oh snow. God. So this So would you like to man. fill me in? Yes, girl. I will be Craig David for you and fill you in. I like that. So thanks. So um Whitey McWiderson wrote <laughs> Okay, his name is Patrick Jones. And he wrote this article called Writing While White. Reasoning out loud amidst the noise. Mm. Be patient. This is a story about a decade-long journey that started in the spring of 2006 as I was writing my third novel, Chasing Taillights. So basically, he wrote this novel about a black teen girl. Um, and, you know, he's like, all right, you know, I just, just really feel like I got to tell this story. You know, it's just it's on my heart, it's on my mind, it's on my spirit. 
And um, the first line of the original version of the novel was, Tanisha, pass me the blunt. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so uh, he's a middle-aged white guy mm -hmm. who's written this book about a black teen girl mm -hmm. um, that explores dark themes of racial injustice, generational poverty, and gangs replacing families. Mm. The book told the story of a girl without a father with a half-brother in prison um, and another on his way there, and a mom who was a mother only as a noun, not as a verb. As there we was, do. <laughs> there was dope smoking, drug dealing, dysfunction, and despair. In short, this was not fodder for suburban teen girls longing for quick-witted, quirky heartthrobs. So his editor had a few reservations. Yeah. So he uh, shared with two award-winning black female writers. Mm -hmm. Two. Oh, Lord. Somebody must have told him no. Female writer. Somebody school. must have told him no. Can't tell In fact, men yes, no. they did. Okay, they, they said more or less, no, you as a white male can't tell this story. Yeah. and Then he, then he also went to a black female librarian from Flint, Michigan. <laughs> I don't know why we had to pull that out, but um, yeah. And she also made the comment, why didn't you have them eating fried chicken and watermelon? Uh -oh. So salute so, to those three sisters, um, because so they they put it together. So this tantrum is there's a tantrum coming because you can't oh, tell yes. a white man he can't do something. You cannot no, you can't. So um the book got told and sold eventually. Uh it's out there in the world. Should anyone <laughs> care to read it? Um but so he wrote this whole thing and he goes on and on and on about how it's so hard to be white and be writing and yeah. because he wants to write books for reluctant readers that they will connect with, you know, so he's writing these stories centering people of color and why won't people let him write people of color no matter if they're stereotypical or not? Doesn't fucking matter. I just want to write for these reluctant readers, which we're going to come back to that. Yeah, um, I was having a question about that. Yeah, I just want to write these books that they can relate to so then they won't be reluctant readers anymore and I don't understand and we want diversity but you don't want let me be diverse and oh my god, I'm so white and I don't understand. Yes. Well, So that was page one of the article. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so um, and page two was more of the same on and on and on. Um, the, the article was posted in, I mean not posted, um, it was published in the. Uh, this was published. This wasn't like medium. No, girl. It was published in a um a literary. I mean um, uh, oh, hold yeah. on. I'm trying to find the the da 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 da. Voya V O Y A is the name of the entity that published it, and okay. it stands for. Um, sorry, I didn't do my Googles. Um. Oh my God! I swear to God, it's like voices of young adults or some shit. Like I that. remember now. Um, I remember it was a picture of the page, not a poem. voice. Voice of Youth Advocates is Voya Magazine, so it's a leading library journal dedicated to the needs of young adult librarians, the advocacy of young adults, and the promotion of young adult literature and reading. So why the hell did they post this? Regular columns by highly respected young adult library leaders and several feature articles appear in each issue to provide information not only on books and reading, but also on young adult library programming, gaming, professional development, intellectual freedom, young adult and author interviews and profiles, and other topics vital to librarians serving young adults. So that's why they published it, because it sounds, intellectual freedom. It sounds stupid. I'll tell you, first of all, he does have intellectual freedom. He can publish a shit till the cows come home. Apparently, he already has gotten this book written, uh, published, and probably several more. Oh, can I can I read you my um, favorite yes. part of this lovely, complex piece of essay that he put out into the world? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, while being white and whining, he said... Uh, I'm going to step aside and set off on some new directions away from just writing about and writing about and for teens of color. Instead, I'll try to mentor and publish young writers of color. I'll try to write the best book I can reflecting the diversity around me, but it won't have a PLC as the main character until I've settled the issue in my mind. It is too complicated and stressful. I need to relax. So I think I need for Tanisha to pass me the blunt. I mean, Christy to hand me the joint. 
I feel like somebody's being passive aggressive. Him's big mad because nobody wants to read it. So, as I said on Twitter when I went on my rant about this, it's so much like when you were like eight years old and you were playing with your neighbor and y'all was playing Uno. And maybe at your house, y'all stacked. But at her house, they didn't play stacking rules. And so she got mad because you was beating her every time with the stacking rules. So she was like, I'm taking my Uno cards and going home because I don't have time for this. I don't like your rules. Mm -hmm. That is what this reminds me of. (laughs) If y'all aren't going to let me do what they want. If y'all don't want to let me write these stereotypical ass people, then I'm just not going to write about them at all as the center of a universe. They'll just be in the background as wallpaper. Hopefully you'll find some diversity there. Join the club. Do what your peers do. That's what the hell y'all been doing this whole time. Leave us alone, sir. He can't, I mean... uh, Okay. I mean, he can't understand why somebody might not think that he's the best person to write about a young black girl's experience. He doesn't think that there may be some parts that he might leave out (laughs) because he doesn't know. No, he doesn't because he worked with... um, Oh, at risk youth. So you know he well, saw I it worked, all. I worked with a lady from, um, um. Wait, where is she from? I worked with a lady from Bali. So I will expect your Balinese coming of age <laughs> story in early 2017. Don't okay. let me down, Tamika. I know you can do it. I did. Okay. Um. <laughs> I think he's going to be okay. I feel like, despite that little tantrum at the end, his publishing life will go on, and he will, in fact, write another book with the person of color in the center of it. Absolutely. Um, Reluctant readers. Why would he think that reluctant readers would want to read about Tanisha Pat Smith Blunt, kids from dysfunctional families? Does he think that everybody that's a reluctant reader would want to read something like that because they can find themselves and they can see themselves in those books. That's my biggest guess. Um, I need to scroll back through this darn article to find a part where he talks about reluctant readers. Mm-hmm. I closed it because I. Um, what about reluctant readers who are rich white children? <sighs> white kids? Yeah. Maybe they got a tenacious to pass them some blunts. Or a Todd. Or maybe you just like, what the f- Girl, I don't know. Oh, so here you go. Chasing was inspired by an ex, but also by teens I met in my nine-to-five job. And I worked ex? with Okay. A wrong worked, woman? I'm sorry, girl. go ahead. I worked with teens in custody, most of them kids of color. I read their poems about absent fathers, abuse, poverty, death, and crime. These were the things I wrote about in Chasing, which were a part of their lives, but not found in YE why eight lit outside of a few books for teens in custody many who struggle with reading there wasn't much available for them outside of the blueford series most written by a white male there was even less urban focus easy to read fiction for and about native asian and latino teens many of us knew we needed diverse books years before it became a hashtag yeah okay He's going to do what he wants. <laughs> Why is, what's the point of this? Yeah. I wrote diverse books aimed at the struggling reader who was often a teen of color. Mm, mm, mm. Thanks for it. Like, it's just like stereotypes on top, on top of stereotypes. Like. Strange. Patrick Jones can EAD. Yes. Well, it's nice talking to you, Patrick. This is less- <laughs> I'm sorry about your troubles. <laughs> Truly, truly sorry. Truly. Anyway, what else is going on? That's it, right? That's it. So, my favorite part in the show. What are you reading? What are you reading, Tamika? Well, I just, I've been reading this book called um, Behold the Dreamers. And I don't remember who it's by. Hold on just a second. <laughs> it is by... Um, the book ain't out yet. It is by... Holy shit. Mbolo Mbui. It, it tells the story of a young Cameroonian couple who have come to New York City and they are trying to make a living. And so um, the husband named Jinde is um, 
he gets a job becoming a driver for a rich white family, the Edwards family. And he um, is really good at his job, very professional, takes it very seriously because it pays pretty well. His wife is a student and they have a six-year-old son. His wife's name is Nanny. Nanny. Um, and so they are in the midst of, like, they have some bonehead cousin or friend of a cousin that told them to file for asylum with the immigration office mm -hmm. um, because the he had gotten any pregnant back in Cameroon before they were married and he had to go to jail for it and then so the basis of his you know asylum plea was that he thought his father-in-law was going to kill him so the government said that sounds like nonsense and so they are going through this immigration case um, meanwhile the um, this is taking place right before the Great Recession of 2007. Um, and so it's interesting to see kind of what happens um, as, oh, and the father of the family that he drives for, Clark Edwards, works for Lehman Brothers. Okay. And so it, you kind of see the dynamic between these two families. There's some kind of hidden stuff there. Uh, some secrets come up, their relationship with them. But really... Um, they could have left the white family out of it altogether <laughs> or kind of reduced their storyline because these people were really interesting enough as it is. And um, I liked the family and it was funny in parts and very, very uh, good book. I don't know if this is her debut novel, um, but it was interesting to read. And it comes out, it doesn't come out until August 2016, but um, look out for it because I highly recommend it. And what's the name again? Behold the Dreamers by Mbolo Mbui. M-B-U-E. Okay. Okay. All right. So that's been our show. You know, thank you guys for listening. What have you I had to enlist the help of my good sis Goodreads because. Mm hmm. <laughs> The book that the last book I just read, we we're talking about, so I can't talk about oh, that okay. book. So I had to think about what I read before that. Mm -hmm. um, and so the most recent, really, really, really good read um, that I read is Angie Martinez's memoir, My Voice. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and I was not expecting to like it as much as I did. Okay. So uh, for those who are not in the know, Angie Martinez is um, basically known as the voice in New York. She's a huge. Uh, radio personality. Uh, she started at Hot 97. I think now she's on Power 105 um, out at NYC or whatever. But um, it talks about, you know, her life, obviously, because it's a memoir. Um, and it talks about like how she got into hip hop and then how she worked her way up at the radio station and her different relationships with um, people that she cultivated. And it was a really, um, so I have a love-hate relationship with memoirs, right? Because I feel like when people sit down to do these things, they do it for one of two reasons. Somebody has asked them or they finally feel like it's their time to write their story. Mm, okay. When somebody has asked them to write the memoir, it almost always reads terribly. Okay. But when they've actually decided, okay, you know what? I think I should write about my life because it could probably, you know, benefit others. Um, it undoubtedly creates a better story. Um, and, uh, Angie is just really, like, her writing is just super, I don't want to say real because that's so cliche, but it's just, it's mad down to earth and straightforward. And, like, I'm not a huge hip-hop head or whatever, you know? So, like, she was name-checking some people, and I'm like, okay, girl, I'm sure they do their thing at the hippity-hop. Um, but in her talking about her relationships with people, um, particularly some of the radio station uh, jocks or whatever, like she talked about her and Funk Flex um, and how they had their little things going back and forth. Um, and she talked about uh, her little beef with Wendy Williams, which I thought was hilarious. Um, but then she talks about, like, some of her relationships with, you know, some of the biggest stars like Jay-Z and Mary J. Um, and this is one part, and this is kind of like a spoiler, but I thought it was hilarious. So Angie wasn't the best at managing her money, right? Mm -hmm. So she, she always had money coming in, but she just wouldn't pay bills. So she would have the money, but the bills would be three months behind. And so she'd get a notice and then she had to, you know, the lights get turned off. So she got to go take the money right after to pay the lights. So one time um, she got evicted 
Um, mm-hmm. Like the sheriffs have padlocked her door. They put the sign on the thing or whatever. And so I can't remember if either she was out to dinner with Mary J or she like went and hollered at her at the studio. But nevertheless, she ended up telling Mary like, yeah, I got to wait till the morning um, to get all my stuff out because they won't even let me just pay it and then just take the padlock off, whatever. So Mary was like, um, well, what you need? She like, no, you know, I got it, whatever. Mary like, no, we can get this handled like right now. I got to check in my purse. Let's go. So they drive to like a 24-hour check cash and join. Wow. <laughs> cash like a $3,000 check or something. Chop Ange off the coins. Like, here you go, friend. But it's the idea of them driving around Newark, New Jersey. Trying to get like- you- 11 o'clock at night, and then Mary J. Blash is strolling to the check cash and And it, it ain't like this was early in Mary's career. Yeah. Like, this is when people knew who Mary J. Blige was. She's so, getting things done, helping a friend. Imagine just, just in, a, in a check cash and joint, and in comes Mary J. Blige. Like, she cashes <laughs> dog. And then the fact that Mary just had a big ass check just sitting in her purse. Jeanette, I can imagine all of those things with Mary J. Blige. <laughs> If you told me the Mary J. Blige is at the check cash in place right now, I would be like, oh, okay. Fair. Yes. yes. Fair. No shade to Mary. I mean, she just seems real. Like, she ain't, like she still goes to the spots she's been going to. <laughs> she's just got money now. It reminds yeah. me of that story somebody, um, after Whitney uh, died and one of our friends was like yeah I had like a little one bedroom apartment and Whitney would come over there and lay up on my couch and cook like she was the homie like she never changed just got more money yeah but um, get the padlock off your door yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah Angie's Angie's book was really well written I can never say that phrase quickly mm-hmm. um, and it was compelling like I started reading it like randomly um, like one night during a basketball game because it was just a travesty happening on my television. So I was like, oh, let me finally tuck into this book. And I was mad that I was like starting to get sleepy because I was like, oh, I just want to keep reading it. Yeah. Um, so super, super, super highly recommend, especially if you're a person who is into the hippity hops because she um, tells some stories about some people in addition to that Mary J. Blige story that is hilarious. And um, there's this bizarre interview she has with Tupac that she details. Mm. Uh, super interesting though. Um, so highly recommend My Voice by Angie Martinez. There we go. Look at us. We got books on deck and everything. All right, guys. So that's that. We're caught up on all the news you can use. All the news that we cared about. Y'all have a good week. We'll talk to you. <laughs> 50 shows and we still don't know how to wrap it up. Y'all be blessed. Hallelujah. (laughs) Bye.